National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. While Christians have celebrated Christ the King from the very beginning of the Catholic Church, the Feast of Christ the King of the Universe was put on the liturgical calendar less than a hundred years ago. What's the origin of this powerful solemnity? We find out with EWTN News' Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Then we look at another effort to sanctify the world, this time through sacred monastic music. Yet there's a twist. Artificial intelligence is involved. The Register's Selene Tadier brings us a story of how an organization is using AI to help spread sacred music. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and Catholic News Agency, and I'm your host here on Register Radio. I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen, who, as I said, is EWTN News's Vice President and Editorial Director, and he's also a church historian. So, Matthew... We're going to tap you in that capacity today as we have a little editor's Absolutely. corner <laughs> about the Solemnity of Christ the King, which we celebrate uh, this Sunday. So thanks for putting on your theologian's hat, which you always do around EWTN and EWTN News. So uh, let's let's talk about this wonderful feast day. As I said, uh, of course, we've we've understood Christ to be the king since uh, the very beginning. Uh, in fact, that's kind of... That's how he was identified there on the cross to the chagrin of, of the Jewish people, of course. But how did this feast day uh, come to be? You know, this is uh, one of those uh, great capstone feasts or solemnities of the liturgical year. It's, it's a perfect bridge, and I know we can talk more about that, uh, between ordinary time and the start of Advent. And the goal of Pope Pius XI in establishing this feast all the way back in 1925 was in recognition of what he described as the manifold evils in the world, Mm -hmm. and that we need to have this important reminder of Christ as our King. It's one of the reasons why the the feast itself is in full, the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe, uh, as uh, Pope St. Paul VI termed it for the new changes of liturgical calendar. So what we're seeing is, is a reminder of Christ's position as our King, but with all of the things that that means. Uh, It's the metaphorical kingship, but also his real kingship uh, over us, over everything. Absolutely. And it's it's interesting because there, you know, 19, you said 25, that's That's not that long ago. We're almost on 100 years, um, which will be a, a a great celebration, I'm sure. But part of this was a recognition Part of the reason to name it, right, um, was a recognition of what was going on in the world, the evil that was going on in the world, and the need to just reclaim it, reclaim the universe um, for Christ the King, who we know to be King. What was happening in the world at the time? Well, this is a, a pretty dark time. We had just emerged out of the First World War that ended in 1918, and what was supposed to be the war that would end all wars seemed only to usher in a new age of political chaos and totalitarianism. In 1925, uh, Pius XI was dealing first and foremost probably with the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Uh, it had sparked in 1917 and had established what was uh, an atheist regime in Russia that was also exporting it like a virus around the world. 
not only was he confronting the problems of the Soviet government, uh, this atheist state, as I was saying, but there were militant secularist regimes in Mexico. Uh, and of course, Benito Mussolini had just come to power in Italy in 1922. So he could see that across Europe and across the world, uh, there was a totalitarian atmosphere, but it was also a demotion, a recognition on the part of uh, Pius XI that Christ was being displaced. Mm -hmm. The priority of Christian civilization was under threat, and he wanted to remind the world of Christ's central place. Absolutely, and it's it's so interesting to think about it in, in two senses, right? In the very physical sense, the strife in the world, um, the, the conflicts, the wars, um, uh, the, these uh, evil movements, if you will. I mean, I think you, you mentioned Mexico, and you think of kind of the rally cry of the Cristeros, Viva Cristo Rey, right? Like right. this was this was that time period. Um, but also there was the spiritual aspect that was being recognized, uh, the, the, the deep uh, secularism and atheism um, that sometimes came from these types of regime, regimes, but really there was a philosophical underpinning, a spiritual underpinning that needed to be addressed in, uh, with this establishment of the feast. And I think we're, we're seeing an, a, a time where the, this all still exists, right? I mean, there's a lot of strife in the world. We've been all watching um, what is happening in the Holy Land. We're, you, you know, we're praying for this um, this negotiated uh, ceasefire uh, and the release of of hostages. And it, it's it, it's a, a, a a very important time um, for us as Catholics um, to to really pray and, and reclaim Christ, the King of the universe, so the King of our hearts as well, right? <laughs> That's um, right. Well, and, and Pius, and in his uh, document, the, his decree establishing this, this magnificent solemnity, that wrote that it is necessary that the kingship of our Savior, and, and I think that's crucial to remember, Christ is our Savior, as he put it, should be as widely and as possibly recognized and understood. But then he added that if... The whole Catholic world shall revere Christ as King. We shall minister to the needs of the present day and at the same time provide what he described as an excellent remedy for the plague which now infects society. And, and how prophetic those words are today, as true as they were in 1925, that we have displaced, we have removed Christ as having a central place in our lives, but also a recognition of the central place of the divine in society, and we're paying a terrible price for this lack of humility. Absolutely, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. And 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 you you know going back to ourselves, I think it is really important for us um, in in our own spiritual lives and our own. Uh, temporal lives, uh, everything we do to recognize um, this kingship and to really reflect on it as we approach uh, this uh, this feast day this weekend. Um, our uh, there, there's something on ncregister.com, a blog by Angelo Segnero, which uh, is is really a great reminder. It's a he kind of uses a phrase from C.S. Lewis. Who again, I know you you love C.S. Lewis and and Tolkien and all these uh, great British authors. But he he Guilty writes. Of charge, yes. Our yes, our king is not safe 
but he is good. Uh, this is what Angelo uh, writes, and and he just talks about the fact that, you know, Christ the King. Yes, he's our Savior. Um, yes, he is King. Um, he he is good. He's going to do what's best for us. But sometimes it it requires um, some deep pruning <laughs> of our lives and of of the world. Um, it's a it's a very important reminder. And of course, this feast day, uh, it has an eschatological meaning, you know, it, it, it has a meaning for our future, not simply now. Can you speak to that? Yeah, the positioning especially of this feast uh, is something that uh, we can't overlook. And what I mean by that is that, as I was saying right at the start of our conversation, Jeanette, that this is a bridge between ordinary time and Advent. It, it stands as the sort of the capstone of the liturgical year. It is the final Sunday of ordinary time, and here we have uh, the start of Advent. And in Advent, there is this rich eschatological dimension to it of the comings of Christ, the, the, the coming of Christ that we recognize in Advent. There is Christ, of course, present in the Eucharist, but then we have the Incarnation, the first coming, but we're also anticipating the second coming of Christ, judgment. And here we have uh, Christ as King, a recognition of this eschatological reality that all of us have to be aware of in our own lives, that as we lead our lives, try to perfect the virtues, become holy, but also subject ourselves, rightfully so, uh, to Christ as our head. Absolutely. So, we have some fun facts that I'd like to share. Um, one of the things uh, that, that CNA discovered not too long ago, they wrote a story, uh, I think it was last year, that they first published this story, that the first parish uh, dedicated to Christ the King was actually not in Europe, as you might expect, you know. Um, it, it, was, it was here in the United States, in Cincinnati, Ohio, That's actually. Right. <laughs> established in uh, 1926. Uh, so that's a, a fun little fact related uh, to Christ the King. Uh, and then, you know, you and I are both um, alum of uh, Franciscan University uh, of Steubenville, and mm -hmm. that has a Christ the King chapel, as does Christendom. And I just recently learned that uh, LSU, so Louisiana State University, the chapel there, the little Catholic center, is also a Christ the King um, chapel. So it's it's fun to just kind of recognize, um, especially on these university campuses, um, a place where uh, God knows <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Christ needs to be reestablished as as King. Uh, those are, are some of the fun facts I can offer about um, uh, about Christ the King. Well, it's, it's striking that um, in the liturgical calendar that was uh, reformed uh, coming out of the Second Vatican Council under uh, Pope St. Paul VI, uh, that this solemnity uh, was given such a prominent place by Paul. And if we look at the, the intervening decades from the time of Pius XI, uh, 1925, to Paul VI in 1969, this prominent place uh, that Paul was telling the Church and to the whole world, Christ is our King. We can't lose focus of that. But I think he was very deliberate in that use of the phrase, uh, the Lord of the universe, mm -hmm. because I think that's also the eschatological dimensions, but also the immensity of Christ's divinity 
the immensity of the beauty of his kingship extends over all of creation. And I think that's something that we can reflect on as we ponder his incarnation uh, in this uh, coming Advent. That's right. You know, I have, um, I sometimes talk about my family. I have little boys, um, under 10, you know, and, and one of the things that they're still fascinated with is the, is the sense of, of knightship, right? The uh, kings and, and, and just this uh, medieval sort of idea, right? Uh, that they can still be fascinated with. And it's a perfect time for me, you know, to, to have, um, sacred art that reflects, uh, Christ the King um, on this wonderful feast day and, and let them understand um, themselves as uh, members of this King's court, right? Um, to carry out, um, carry the banner of Christ the King, uh, uh, Viva Christa Rey, right? Idea and, and instill exactly. it into my family and to these boys. That's something we will do this weekend. Our parish is having um, in this Eucharistic year, the year of the Eucharistic revival, they're also doing a Eucharistic procession around uh, the neighborhood, around the parish, um, f- fitting, you know, again, in a way of establishing Christ the King. So I hope... Oh, as, as, uh, mm-hmm. as Pope Pius XI said, oh, what happiness would be ours if all men, individuals, families, and nations would but let themselves be governed by Christ. Yes, let it be so, right? That's my that's my <laughs> prayer for for uh all of us uh who uh who are listening and 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 uh, who are you know, are, are faithful Catholics who are who are going to church this weekend that this is uh the the, the prayer of our hearts and and the actions in within our families. So, just to mention a few of the stories that I I mentioned earlier in the show. Um one is a blog at ncregister.com, Angelo Stegnaro, our king is not safe, but he is good. And then another at catholicnewsagency.com. How a, Cincinnati, how a Cincinnati parish became home to the first church dedicated to Christ the King. And in that story, you also get a little bit of the history uh, that Dr. Matthew Bunsen has been talking about in this show. And I wish everyone a happy solemnity. But stay tuned. There will be more news here on Register Radio on EWTN. We'll be talking to Selene Tattier about AI and sacred music. There's more when we return. If you need your news on the go, read the Register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. 
Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and Catholic News Agency. And I'm Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director for EWTN News, and a lover of all things Gregorian chant. And I know, uh, Jeanette, uh, we want to take a moment and consider uh, the magnificent legacy of Gregorian chant. For those who may not be familiar with it, of course, in the history of the Church, we have always used music. Go all the way back to the Old Testament, uh, the, the Psalms of David, for example. In the New Testament, we know that there are beautiful hymns, but in the Church especially, Gregorian chant uh, emerged as arguably the most dominant, and, and some would still argue the most beautiful form of music in the life of the Church. It is credited to uh, Pope think Gregory I the Great. Now, it's a matter of dispute among scholars as whether or not he was actually the founder of it. But plain chant, in other words, music that is unaccompanied and that became such a hallmark of the monastic life and that really dominated church music for so many centuries, we credit Gregory at least for encouraging and creating the environment for what became the development of Gregorian chant. And I, I can't stress enough its importance in the history of the church and why it's necessary to preserve it and also to cherish it. And I think that's where some beautiful reporting from Salentadier comes in. Absolutely. She she wrote an article for ncregister.com uh, that has been lighting up the, the internet, uh, at least on our website. Um, our, our audience loved it. And it's about this glorious past of Catholic Europe, um, this this music that was produced in, in Catholic Europe. And now the technological sophistication of AI um, bringing this music um, to to everyone around the world today, and this is a project called Repertorium Project. And Celine, we are so grateful to have you on to talk about this project now on on Register Radio. So, what is the Repertorium Project? Hello, Jeanette. Hello, Matthew. So, yes, it is a very exciting project. So, this project called Repertorium is of unprecedented scope. Uh, it aims first and foremost to develop artificial intelligence tools that will help preserve this very precious um, musical heritage and more specifically uh, Gregorian chants. This will involve digitalizing hundreds of thousands of musical manuscripts and it will protect them from loss, weather, etc. But it will also make possible to sort uh, through the two million Gregorian chants currently available and to identify possible uh, duplicates and to ultimately list them so that we can easily retrieve them. Uh, it is an extension of NEMS. Uh, we already reported about that on the National Catholic Register. It is a smartphone app made available in recent years through a large Gregorian chants recording uh, that was made available uh, that enabled to make available the entire liturgy of the Novus Ordo. And so now through this repertorium project, the entire Tridentine liturgy will be also added to uh, the Gnomes app, thanks to repertorium and made available to the public. All this will also crea make, you know, uh, create a big digital backup that will remain accessible to all musicologists, everyone who loves Gregorian chants around the world so through a big uh, Oxford uh, Diam portal. 
Yes. Yeah, so, so to to um, to to spell out the 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 name of that app, um, it's a, it's not a word we hear very commonly, but it's N E U M Z Nooms, and that is the Nooms. app that has made um, the the old litter the the Novus Ordo um, available through a smartphone uh, smartphone app, um, and we have covered that before on on the register. Uh, Selene, it's it, this is. Really, such a fascinating project. I, I I'm always amazed, though, how interested our readers are in anything to do with sacred music, chant, and and other forms of 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 music related to the liturgy. It's just absolutely fascinating uh, how how interested people are. What is it? What do you attribute that interest to? And in your conversations with uh, those who are preserving it, what what do they have to say about the importance or, or, or the interest in, in this? You know, the beauty of Gregorian chants, all those interviews about this topic, you know, I've been writing a lot about Gregorian chants and all this tradition, medieval Europe. People are fascinated by that because they are so thirsty of their own roots, you know. People need to go from somewhere. And the, the beauty of that is that, you know, people sing in these monasteries, in these churches, when they sing when they sing Gregorian chants, then they sing the same chants that were sung for uh, centuries and centuries and and you know it never it, it resists the passing of time the yeah. passage of fashion generation and that's the beauty of that what is great is that there is also huge interest for artificial intelligence and in this project the beauty of that is that they are merging together the, the great precious tradition that we have our heritage is merging with the most sophisticated tools of artificial intelligence to preserve this beauty and make Make it available to the whole world. So that's what I love about this project. Well, people are very familiar with uh, Gregorian chants. Uh, there have been albums on it and everything else. But uh, where are these manuscripts housed? Uh, there is a, a classic name that I know you touch on in your article. Is this great repository of Gregorian chant? What is that? So it all began, it must be precise, because it all began uh, at the, the Benedictine Abbey of Solesmes in northern France. Uh, and this beautiful abbey is the main, the greatest, the largest archive of Gregorian chants in the world. It is so because in the in the 19th century they collected uh, the, the its monks collected all across Europe a, a, a very very large collection of more than 400,000 photographs of musical manuscripts and so now they supply the whole world all the uh, world's Catholic communities with their chants both for Novus Ordo and traditional Latin rites and so on this basis then we can actually retrieve and catalog all these chains. And the, the, the greatness of all that is it, that it comes from one single place. We have other archives, but most of them come from the same place. And, and, and then from this very small place in France, it is being made available everywhere. And it's, it's an international collaboration because all these AA tools are being developed in Spain through uh, universities in Spain. So that's all, all these things looks, you know, in a, it's a kind of revolution, but through a rooting of tradition. So that's the, the, the greatness of all that. 
And and what may be surprising to some is that this project, um, it's which is um, is is probably quite expensive, is is being um, funded in part by the European Commission. So uh, that they have granted more than three million euros to to this project. So it has the support uh, of 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 who we might presume are even secular, correct? Yes, that, that's the most interesting part, I would say, from that perspective as a European and as, you know, I'm suffering all these like big secular policies across Europe and yeah. especially in France. And the European Commission, of course, as we can imagine, is not funding the project to preserve the traditional liturgy. Let's, let's be realistic. They are not seeking of preserving the Christian heritage of right. Europe. Uh, but they do so within the frame, framework of a grant called Horizon Research and innovation grants uh, and and their criteria for this funding is that the project should revive valorize and foster traditional crafts technique and combine it with new and emerging cutting-edge technologies and we couldn't find any better project from that perspective and that's you know the, the greatness of all that is that it's serving the, the Catholic tradition and, and from that perspective they couldn't say no you know they couldn't say no no we are just secular we won't protect that the project is so sophisticated and so amazing that it will serve all the music industry. So since it's going to, to serve everyone, you know, it will improve all the listening experience around the world. Listeners will then be able to follow the performance in the form of an acoustic hologram. I'm not sure completely how it will work. I'm not a, such an expert, but they told me it will, they will be able to mute instruments, to solo instruments in an, in an orchestra. So it is big enough so that the, the, the European Commission is having a big interest uh, in this project. It's, it's truly fascinating to me. I, I want to know so much more. I'm sure listeners probably want to know a lot more too. So I'm going to direct them to your story online, which, as I said, was really lighting up our website. A lot of people read this story, and I want many more to read it. Uh, it is called Cataloging and Discovering Ancient Chat, Artificial Intelligence Aids Catholic Tradition in EU-Funded Project. This is by Selene Tattier at ncregister.com. And I will remind our listeners in this last moment of the show about a, a quote from Dostoevsky, which is, beauty will save the world. And I think this is an example. Uh, even the EU is making happen um, this, this project um, by funding it. And indeed, we can pray uh, that through it, uh, beauty, who is Christ, right, and his truth and, and worshiping him, will save the world. Selene, thank you so much for bringing this to our audiences, uh, and I, I do hope it touches many hearts. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, to check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello, and I pray until next week, God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.